On this week's Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Annihilation, so get ready to go into the shimmer. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and, well, Abe, he's 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 not here. He's handling some family business. But regardless, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly, recovers of various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other film movie topics. This is episode 318, 318, and the main film for this week is Annihilation, the latest sci-fi drama dot 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 from director Alex Garland. And joining me today to discuss Annihilation, we have, from Battleship Pretension, he's mirroring me, it's David Bax. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. Also joining us, from the edges of Beverly Hills, he's not de- what he's not destroying, he's making new, it's Peter Paris. Hello. Uh, nice to be back uh, so quickly. <laughs> well, you got lucky. <laughs> I did. I did get lucky. There are some subs, we lost an Abe, it, it worked out for you. But you, you did want to talk about Annihilation, so here you are. <laughs> Sometimes it just works out that way. Exactly. Yeah, but no, good to have both of you back on here. Peter, obviously you've been here fairly recently, but David, no, it feels like it's been too long. I like getting you on this podcast. Yeah, it hasn't been since I came on to uh, defend Atomic Blonde against all comers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you're in good company. I believe, Peter, you're a fan of Atomic Blonde, weren't you? Um... I am, but not not as much. I'm a fan, but nowhere near as much as the John Wick movies. But yes, I do. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we're uh, talking Annihilation. We got you guys here. Let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, we have a new commentary track out up for Dark City, uh, the Alex Proyas sci-fi cult favorite. Um, let's see, Scott Mendelson, Brandon Peters, and I. We talked about Dark City. It was a lot of fun. We entrusted listeners that they should listen to Roger Ebert's commentary first, then Alex Preuss's, then ours, and then David S. Goyer, um, because that just makes the most sense. But yes, as as much as that movie's been talked about, we did have new things to say, especially on its 20th anniversary, which is coming up on in a few days. Uh, Actually, the day of this, when this releases, will probably be up. Uh, But yeah, no, it's a good show on iTunes now. You can find that uh, fun to do. And of course, we'll have another one next month. Um, what else? Um, Oscar show that will be next week. State be be looking out for our Oscar prediction show, which which should come up the Friday before the Oscars start. This dates the podcast, obviously, but if you happen to listen to it before that, this one before that, you should know that that is coming. Um, but and then we'll have our immediate follow up Oscar show as well, where we record right after the Oscars get next week's episode in. So that should be a lot of fun. Excited to see what comes out of that. Be more excited if we saw some really su- some big surprises. But we'll see. See what happens. And let's see, what else? iTunes reads ratings, good to get those, helps out the show, helps other people find the show, bumps us up on the old iTunes charts. If you search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe, give us a star rating, uh, even write a little written review, that'd be great. Thank you in advance. And yeah, I think that covers all the show notes, so let's move on. Let's get to Know Everybody, where each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, we better get to Know Everybody. And I have a question for you guys. Has a film score ever made you uncomfortable? As the kind of mood or tone of a score or just some random other thing about it, have, has that ever made you uncomfortable, like watching a movie in a theater? I'm, yeah, I'm certain I mean, it has. I think uh, I think uh, in, in good ways, but uncomfortable. I think the, the soundtrack, the score for Under the Skin and the score for um, There Will Be Blood, which is the, uh, it's the Radiohead guy, right? Yeah, Johnny Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood. I think those kind of weird kind of scores get under my, I mean, I can't just say under the skin, uh, that they kind of unner, unnerve me, but 
I mean, they're supposed to. So, I mean, is that what you're, is that what you mean? Or do you yeah, mean? No, like, I mean, I mean like, yeah, if there's, I mean, that could question go any number of ways, but yes, I was, because I do think there's a, there's a, not necessarily unnerving, but there is a tone in the Annihilation score, especially towards the end where it's like, I don't know what to think right now, but I'm both entranced and also kind of like nervous about it. And uh, so I'm curious if any other film has done that kind of thing. And I'm sure, yeah, and I'm um, certain there are too. Hey, David, do you have any off mat? Well, I'd go with Eyes Wide Shut for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that piano plinking. Uh, and then another one, uh, be- because um, Peter, you mentioned um, There Will Be Blood. Another Paul Thomas Anderson film, Punch Drunk Love, has, there's, there's certain parts, uh, like when he's frantically sort of running back and forth in the in his uh, warehouse office area and things are going kind of haywire and the music is kind of so arrhythmic that it almost it, it yeah it does definitely give me a bit of a bit of an anxiety uh by you know by design i remember seeing that i saw that with my mom in theaters in 2002 and i remember the beginning of that movie before you really get a handle of what's happening it's almost like a thriller like where you have the harmonium uh-huh. dropped off in the street and then like the like a truck passes really quickly and it's just the way the sound's edited where it's like you're kind of like scared for what's happening in a sense and i was like okay this is and yeah. I love Punch Drunk Love. It's my probably my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. But um, I'm trying to think of other examples. I think Kubrick's a good one to reach to because I think The Shining obviously has some 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 particular moments uh-huh. as well where the music only enhances what it's trying to do. Um, Eyes Wide Shut's a good call. It even 2001. I mean, goes for some things um, more in sound design, I guess, than score. But although the music has an effect as well. But no, yeah, I was curious. Any others that come up, just shout them out because I, uh, I was, I was curious. I was thinking about that as I thought of that question. Peter, you brought up Under the Skin, which is actually a good place to go for our next thing here. We've been doing poll questions, movie death matches on the uh, on Out Now for the past few weeks here, um, where I pit two movies against each other, and by choosing one, it means you save that movie, but the other movie gets eliminated from existence entirely. As in, it does not exist anymore. It erases the career paths of certain directors and actors, so it makes it all the more hard to choose between the films, assuming I've chosen a good matchup. And this week, uh, trying to clue into the theme of Annihilation, as well as another movie that we'll talk about, is uh, Moon versus Under the Skin, which you brought up. And uh, I have the results here. Uh, Moon won out 67% to 33%. Uh, but off it, do you guys have a have a pick? Assuming that if you pick one, you save it, but the other one goes away entirely, and think just, just history changes. Well, yeah, I mean, I would have for sure picked Under the Skin. That's like my favorite movie of the last ten years. But not only that, I it, it's interesting you bring that up though, because wait, is is Moon Duncan Jones' first movie? Yes, feature, yeah. Whereas Under the Skin is Glazer's just his latest movie. So if Under the Skin never happened, we still have Sexy Beasts and Birth. But, but I guess you're saying if Moon never happened, then we lose Source Code and supposedly Mute, but I heard Mute's not very good. But is that what you're saying? That- yeah, not necessarily lose. Well, maybe lose, but I mean, yes, the, the I guess the career paths change for people as far as not having done this thing to lead to the next thing. Right. Um, but, but the director doesn't cease to exist. No, I'm not, I'm not eliminating people from existence. Just okay. <laughs> I, I'm, ch- I'm, I'm creating timeline B in Back to the Future terms. Your favorite movie. Um, <laughs> well, it's this: if you lose Under the Skin, you might lose um, the scene. Wait, have we all seen The Last Jedi? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. You lose. You lose the scene where uh, Ray has her kind of. 
uh, snap of the finger sequence because that's the people who did Under the Skin. Because Ryan Johnson was Under the Skin and he hired them for that. You would also probably lose all the Under the Skin type stuff in Stranger Things. So that would so maybe that is that what you're kind of saying, Aaron? So, I, I mean, I, I I mean, I can't speak to exactly what happened. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I can't speak to exactly what would happen, but in a sense, yes, as far as, you know, interpretation cinematic history has changed to a point by eliminating something from it. I mean, for the record, I like both movies. I prefer Under the Skin, but I think Moon's really terrific. I, it's my favorite of Duncan Jones. David, so. where do you land on this? Uh, I'm going to lose all credibility for the rest of the podcast. I've never seen either one of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> of course that's the case. <laughs> Uh, I'm a big Moon fan. I, I really like that was like my my top ten, like in my number three, I think, of that year when it came out. So I I, I would choose Moon. Um, but yeah, but yeah, no, it's fun to do the polls. It's neat to see kind of where things go as, as far as as long as I get a good matchup against each other. And I thought that was a good matchup. So there you go. Although Moon does seem to be winning in somewhat of a landslide, but it's 67 to 33 percent, so you know, two thirds. Uh, but yeah, and I'll keep doing the polls because they're fun to do. Um, it's easy to put together. And uh, all right, well, that's how you play. No, everybody. Let's move on now. Let's get to out now quickies. Each we could talk about one movie. We, we, we talk about it. Uh, quickies. There's no Abe, uh, so it comes off weirder. Uh, but TM. Uh, let's see, Peter. Let's start with David. You were talking a lot, Peter. Shut up for a second, David. What movies have you seen recently? Um, what movies have I seen recently? Well, I've been as we were talking about before you recorded and watching the Oscar-nominated shorts. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and uh, some of those documentaries are, are real solid. I like the um, Heaven is a Traffic Jam on the 405 about a, a Los Angeles artist mm-hmm. um, quite a lot. Uh, and then in terms of older movies, uh, I just, the other night I watched, I'd never seen, I'm a big David Lean fan, uh-huh. but I'd never seen Ryan's Daughter, his 1970 movie that is, you know, was horribly received and is considered the reason he didn't make another movie for for 14 years or whatever. I never watched it, and uh, it's really great. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if it's just like he had this like run of you know Lawrence and Bridge on the River Kwai and Chicago and, and Doctor Zhivago, and this one is maybe it's uh, in terms of like the scope of the presentation. It's 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 an epic, but it's a much smaller story, and maybe it just. Uh, I feel like in a way it's kind of like that situation of everyone hated Burn After Reading when it came out because it was right after No Country for Old Men, but now everyone likes Burn After Reading now, which is correct. Burn After Reading is great. Uh (laughs) Uh, And so I wonder if Ryan's daughter just suffered for not having been Zhivago or whatever, even though I think it's probably better than Dr. Because Dr. Zhivago was like Gone with the Wind. It's a Gone with the Wind. It's a beautiful movie that's actually kind of empty. But um uh I think so uh, I watch Ryan's Daughter and I, I I would recommend it to anyone. I will I will I will champion the reclamation of Ryan's Daughter in David Lean's career. Who who's who stars in Ryan's Daughter? Uh it's well Ryan's daughter herself is played by an actress named Sarah Miles uh, mm-hmm. that I didn't know much about. Um and then uh Robert Mitchum there it is. Is, okay. is one of the, it's like a love triangle. And so he's um, uh, playing an Irishman. Uh, and I guess he does an okay accent, but you'd probably have to ask an Irish person. Uh, yeah, to, it's Robert Mitchum. Uh, so he's, he's cool enough where I don't really concern myself with his talents with accents. I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then um, the other end of the love triangle is a young actor named Christopher Jones, who like also didn't do much afterward. Uh, and then Trevor Howard plays the, mm. the priest, the local priest. Okay. 
So this is not a film that's got like a has it gotten like a critical reevaluation at all, or has it just always kind of been held as like, yeah, it's one of those lesser leans. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's my impression. Uh, I'm glad I got around to to watching it. How long is it? Uh, it's so the version on Amazon is the non-roadshow version. Oh, um, there's a roadshow version. <laughs> uh, of course, yeah. So it's three hours and sixteen minutes. Apparently, yeah, that's, the, yeah, that sounds lean. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, the road the roadshow is is te- is te- only ten minutes longer, and it's probably just like a intermission, uh, you know, an overture, overture or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Man, David Lee must have one of those most ironic director names. <laughs> But um, that's, that's all I got. I'm, lead, I, I'm, a, I'm a big lead fan to the point of thinking so like... that's what I've been watching. Yeah. Uh, well, good. Uh, Peter, how about you? What have you been watching recently? Well, I just watched the um, uh, Suspiria, which I had... I, I thought I had seen, but I, I guess I had never seen it. Um, it just came out on Blu-ray... Was that maybe a month ago? No, it came out like the end of... Near the end of last year. Oh, I guess even longer. Um, it, was like and, Dece- it was like December. It came out in like December, yeah. So, but basically, yeah, I got that and Night of the Living Dead, both with these immaculate uh, 4K transfers, and I uh, watched them both in the last couple of days, and uh, they're both great. I mean, Night of the Living Dead I've seen before. I mean, I love it. It's great. Like, But, but um, well, you know what? I will say this. Night of the Living Dead, one thing that surprised me about that movie, it feels a lot more contemporary than I like there's something about the acting style and stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, I mean, it is made in 1968, but it felt a lot more fresh than I thought it would. Um, and then Suspiria, I was just, yeah, man, it was just so like the color, the music, it was just really took me in. Like I, I was just so, I really want to check out, um, more of Argento's, uh, work now. So, uh, yeah, so those are my, uh, two things you know two older type catalog titles uh, let me let me add to because i talked about um night of living dead last week a bit because i also recently watched the, the new criterion collection edition of it and yeah i for what you're saying as far as it's con- how kind of uh, fresh it feels or at least how you know the style of it, it i think it speaks to kind of the story he's telling where it's it's so contained and the things going on don't have much to, you know there's not there's things that dated as far as like clothes or like the TV broadcast or what have you. But I think there is a universality to that story, which is, which speaks to like the best zombie films. I think where you could, it's not, it doesn't take like much to make a new zombie movie. It's more of just, especially if you're know, making a good one, but it's more of how, where the, where these characters are, what they have to do and what have you, since the, the threat is so ambiguous, it's just like, okay, there's things coming after you. You can't really stop them unless you get them, but there's always going to be more. So it's all about character drama. And you can't really age character drama aside from, you know, kind of dialogue rhythms, I guess, or what have you. But, it, you know, it's it's a movie that all I think it always works. <laughs> it's part of can its I, appeal. Can I well, I think. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, I, I think it's also just in terms of the horror of it. It's it was really out there when I think that that movie and Texas Chainsaw Massacre are movies that I think of. If you look at like old a lot of old horror movies, like they can still be good. But it's funny to think like people were scared of this at the time. You yeah. Know, like. Like like the, the Universal know, Monster movies are away. ones. What's I, that? The Universal Monster movies are ones I tend to think of in that way. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, and it to, to to me now the idea of someone being scared by that is like the people the Lumiere brothers like running away from the train coming at the screen mm-hmm. story. But for some reason, like Not a Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacres are movies that sort of have refused to become quaint. Like they're still really freaky because uh, they I guess they both just went all in. 
Well, yeah, well, like I don't want someone to, you know, eat my remains and I don't want or just me in general. <laughs> and I don't I don't want a, you know, if there's a, a crazy man sprinting, not walking, but sprinting after me with a chainsaw. I don't see that dying down as far as like the amount of <laughs> tension that comes from that scenario. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, I, can I ask you guys this question? I just got into uh, with my uh girlfriend yesterday who she doesn't like uh horror films or anything but horror movie but um i read somewhere when i was reading the thing about the review uh for the new night of the living dead that's and i haven't checked out the extras yet but supposedly george romero said that when he a lot of people credit uh, night of living dead as because it is a movie from 1968 and it does feature you know african-american lead mm-hmm. and it's civil rights era that it kind of speaks larger to just like zombies. It speaks to like, you know, there's a lot of subtext there and everything. But supposedly George Romero said that the truth was, is the actor's name Dwayne Jones? Is yes. that his name? That's, yeah. That he just hired him because he was the best actor. That's... He didn't actually, he was not, but it's weird because George Romero's movies are super political. So there's a part of me that's like, really? I find that hard to believe because so many, like Dawn of the Dead, his movies are not, he, he's he, he's clearly a guy doing horror films that have a comment on politics. So that surprises me. Or do you think he's just like, I don't know, that just surprised me. So well, I just wanted. I mean, I believe both ideas where he probably was just the best actor that edition, but also, you know, subconsciously in the midst of writing a screenplay for Ran Out of the Living Dead, which is in the way Romero has kind of always, especially his dead films, the way he's written them or to be snapshots of time. That's how he's described them, where it's just kind of taking what he's seeing at the time and writing and, you know, kind of factoring that into a screenplay. And so obviously Dawn of the Dead has plenty of, you know, social relevance to that time as far as consumerism and what have you. Um, uh, Night of the Living Dead is coming when it, you know, there's in Vietnam, there are scandals going on and obviously there's, you know, civil rights things going And if even if he's not kind of casting specifically because hey here's this black guy that I can put in the midst of a bunch of white people surrounding him and what have you I do think that even on some sort on some level he must have realized that it's like I I'm putting this character in this position and that might have some kind of ramification as far as how the story is being taken because he didn't rewrite the story after that or anything after he cast him he just mm-hmm. did the script as was um, obviously. Plus- I mean, you can't speak exactly to it, but I more or less just kind of have to hold Romero at his word. Where it's like, hey, he probably just gave the best edition. Yeah, it's just, yeah. just interesting. And uh, wait, one more side note, only because you just said this. Did you know that um, Suspiria was supposedly when he wrote that? It was, for, teen, said, it was for like kids, like 12-year-olds. Yeah, he's writing that for kids, and, and but he, and the script didn't that much. So that's interesting. Just only because you just brought the script thing that I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. David, um, are you a Suspiria fan? Even, even I, I've never seen it. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. No, this, sorry. This, this, you guys are like exposing all of my blind spots on this <laughs> this episode. Yeah, and I, and I get you on here because you're, you know, the co-host of Battleship Pretension, the podcast that knows all film. So what am I, what am I talking about? Right. <laughs> yeah. Should have got Tyler out here, but he's having a birthday, so whatever. Yeah, happy birthday, Tyler. <laughs> I'm kidding. You have plenty of expertise in here. Um, but no, yeah, Peter, uh, Suspiria, it, yes, the um, the idea of the characters originally being much younger than they were, it speaks to kind of the acting of that movie as far as their dialogue and how it plays, which I think makes it more, un- it makes it unique. It makes it, it's, oh, sure. it's a one of a kind thing, which is why I'm very curious what, um, what's the director of Call Me By 
your name's name luca guadalino is that my close yeah, yeah. he's sure. he's made he's directing the the kind of the remake quote-unquote of suspiria like it's already made essentially um i i'm very curious what that looks like um <laughs> but we'll see i guess and sometime soon it's it's done so it has to just be you know put out in some way um i've seen a few things uh, this week i want to talk about first up one of the other new releases is uh, game night it's a film with uh, jason bateman rachel mcadams kyle chandler overall i think it's it's fine like it's it's a decent comedy it's from the what's his name john francis daly and jonathan goldman who they they um they wrote the original they wrote horrible bosses and they directed vacation they wrote spider-man homecoming and now they're supposed to do the flash movie this is their like second directorial film and uh, directed film, and like I think if you like horrible bosses, you kind of get the same thing that you get here. Um, what's somewhat neat is seeing some effort and direction. I think you get a lot of com like studio comedies these days that just kind of don't have much to speak of as far as direction. But there's some attempts to make this film, which is about like like a murder mystery like the idea of having a murder mystery game but it actually takes place like there's actually an actual murder mystery going on which is neat it's like a kind of almost there's a lot of references to david fincher film specifically and you know the game is obviously when it comes up and there's there's some effort put in to make the film look like a game if that makes sense like there's there's shot there's there's location shots that make the, the like the neighborhoods and sets look like game boards and like the cars arriving that look like game pieces on a game board like there's little stuff like that that's neat and also the movie's just you know it's pretty funny um i wouldn't say it's funny and like i need to keep seeing this to keep getting these jokes over and over but it's funny as far as hey it's a fast-paced comedy that has enough going on and jason bateman's generally solid in this kind of thing and of course friend of the show kyle chandler's always good but yeah that's game night i think it's fine the other thing I saw is Mute, uh, which we spoke of. Uh, Duncan Jones' Mute, his newest film, which was with, went straight to Netflix. Um, Peter, you haven't seen Mute, I take it. David, did you watch Mute? You haven't seen Moon, so I don't know if you've seen Mute. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Sounds like you've got every, everyone I've seen, you and other friends, have all been pretty disappointed. I, it's a shame, though, because I like the cast, and I like and I like Duncan Jones. So I was like, oh, it's, it's that lame? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, give it a two? It's, 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 it's not good. Um, it's, which oh, is wait, wait. so you like paradox more? Uh, yes, I, I like I like Cloverfield paradox more. Yeah, okay. Um, um, I but I think I mean I had less invested in Cloverfield paradox going in. Where Mute feels like okay, this is the thing that Duncan Jones wanted to make even before Mute Moon Mune. Um, and and here it is, and it just kind of just doesn't know what it wants to be. It has Alexander Skarsgård as a mute bartender. He has a girlfriend who's a waitress who mysteriously disappears, and so he goes on the hunt to find her. And it's set in the it's set in this kind of neon lit future that feels very much like Blade Runner or even that Altered Carbon show that you're a big fan of, Peter. Uh, and so it feels like well, this is weird timing for this to come out because it just feels like a knockoff of those universes. And the story being presented, it could be this kind of hard boiled neo noir where you have a mute character that's inherently interesting to me, but it just doesn't really get off the ground. Like it doesn't. Skarsgård doesn't, for all the kind of work he's doing to make this mute character, you know, look the part and be, and he's, you know, he's a, he's a big tall guy and he has these like sunken eyes. So it's like, I want to, I want to be involved in this journey, but it's just never that interesting. And the world it's set in is also somehow not interesting. A sci-fi world in a noirish universe 
that seems like something I'd want to enjoy, but like Joan seems to have no real interest in this kind of idea. And I think it's might be because the the story wasn't originally supposed to be this kind of world. It was supposed to be more modern day. And it shows because there's nothing he doesn't seem to have much interest in it, like in having weird robots running around and all kinds of stuff. And as also going on in this movie, in addition to that story, there's this side story involving Paul Rudd and J Justin Theroux as just kind of like seedy doctors who seem to be inspired by MASH. They look like like um, like Donald Sutherland and uh, Elliot Gould and MASH. Like that's literally like Paul Rudd literally wearing like a Hawaiian shirt throughout, but they, and they're like ex-soldiers. And again, these are things that should give this movie personality or some kind of energy, but they're just unlikable people, which is saying a lot when you have Paul Rudd in a co-lead. Uh, and it just, yeah, the movie just has no, it doesn't really have much to say or do. It's just, it's just disappointing. It's a disappointing film. Um, and is one that, yeah, I also like Duncan Jones. I'm a big fan of Moon, of course. Um, I like Source Code. I bent over backwards to be fair to Warcraft. I think Warcraft at least has more ambition than this movie does. And so, yeah, it's just kind of, it's a big disappointment. Yeah. Well, that's... I forgot about Warcraft. Forgot he did that. I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Warcraft, but I, I could at least speak to the things he was trying to do, and this just does, it just feels kind of like bleh. Like, all right, it happened. He made he made that movie he wanted to make. So, but it's a shame. Yeah. Let's see. Watched a couple other movies. Speaking of older movies, um, David, uh, we watched my lovely girlfriend and I. We watched His Girl Friday on Friday. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, which is a fantastic film, Howard Hawks film with uh, with Cary Grant. Yeah. And what's her name? Ros Rosalind Russell? Is that it? Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds it about is, right. Yeah, Rosalind Russell. I think that's, yeah. 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 Uh, classic screwball comedy. Very funny. Holds up really well. The dialogue just flying off the page. Like, it's great. It's it's a it's a, it's a a great movie. Um, but yeah, watch that one. And um, I guess I'll talk about this a little bit now. We, we watched The uh, the Tick, the second half of The Tick on Amazon, um, which I'm a big fan of The Tick. Um I really like the kind of direction they took it for this new iteration of the character. Um, and I think the second half continues to deliver on the fun that you have in this kind of show. Um, as far as kind of a somewhat of a spoof of superhero culture. Uh, but, you know, just good stuff as far as a character like this in the world like that. But yeah, so that's uh, that's what I've been watching. Got a, got a lot of things done. And uh, okay, that's out of quickies. Damn, what's... Uh, Let's move on now. Let's get to our let's get to our trailer talk. Where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. And this week, uh, we are talking A Quiet Place. This is an upcoming seemingly supernatural horror film uh, directed by John Krasinski and co-written by John Krasinski of, of The Office fame, um, who stars with his wife, Emily Blunt, as a couple with children in some sort of possible dystopia future where... They cannot, speaking of mute, actually, they cannot speak. They cannot make any sound whatsoever. They live in some kind of isolated area um, because if they do speak, something will come after them. I guess that's all I'm going to say about that. And I want to talk to Peter first. Peter, what did you think of the trailer for A Quiet Place? Man, I didn't know uh, I didn't know Jim Halpert directed it because um, I, I was not a huge fan of his last movie that he directed. So, um, Which one was that? He did that one. Um, I know there's that fracking movie. It's called, movie the, it's called he... the Howlers. Oh, the yeah. Howlers. Yeah, 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 the, yeah, the Howlers. Yeah. It, it, may, it may have been the worst movie of 2016. <laughs> it was pretty mediocre. It was pretty just like good cast, you know, Anna Kendrick and God, that woman's name is. She was on Margo Martindale and uh, Richard, Richard Jenkins. But yeah, I, I post 
post office. I am not a huge Krasinski guy, but I got to say, um, good premise for a post-apocalyptic uh, movie. And I love seeing, um, is her name Mal- Mal- Maleficent? What's her name? The little, the, the actress who's, uh, she's dead. Oh, uh, um, yeah, from Wonder Wonderstruck, uh, Millicent Simmons. Um, and I, oh. I, yeah, so I think it's a, it's a good trailer. Yeah. I mean, I think the trick to that is going to be the premise is good. The whole, like, you have to be really quiet, uh, and everything. Although I will say in the trailer, when the kid, when the boy has that little, uh, space shuttle, that's really noisy, it, you would think by now the kid knows not to be loud. So I don't know how that scene happens. Maybe but, in context or something, maybe it makes more sense. Right. Um, but, but no, no, I think it looks good. I think the only thing that I'm going to be just, the, the only thing I'm a little wary of is that these kind of like, it's kind of a, a central high concept is I'm hoping that that concept does not get kind of taken down by essentially a last act, which is just basically some kind of CG monster. But the premise, yes, I am totally down for the premise uh, and the cast. How about you, David? Um, I'm I'm also down for the premise. I definitely like um, movies where people don't talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, but I'm already worried that it's going to be just because I was not a fan of John Krasinski's last directorial effort. I I, I worry that it's going to end up being more conventional than it seems. That they're going to find ways around the not talking that it's not actually going to be a movie where people don't talk for an hour, which is something that I would um, really enjoy the ambition of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, uh, I, yeah, I guess I'll keep my hopes up for, for now. Cause I do like horror movies in general. Um, and Peter, you mentioned Millicent Simmons, the, not the little boy who's the other boy in the movie is Noah Jupe, who was in, he was in Suburbicon. He was good in that, even though that was terrible. Yeah. He's the best he thing was, in that terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> yeah. But he was also the best friend in Wonder last yes. year. Yeah, uh, he was in. I thought he was really good in that. Oh wait, uh, wait, the Owen Julia Roberts Wonder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's the he's the one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we I got, like so we got the kid from Wonder and the girl from Wonderstruck. Yeah, a lot of Wonder All happening. We we couldn't cast <laughs> we couldn't cast JT in the lead to get the whole Wonder trilogy in here. <laughs> well, I will I, I will say I'm also a fan of. Um, it looks like in the trailer they're doing a lot of uh, sign language and I'm always a, I, I am kind of a fan of, of putting that in uh, more, more, more representation like in that, in that nature. So, I mean, like that's a good thing. Of course I'll have to see while the movie is, but it speaks to Millicent Simmons, by the way, who is an actual deaf actress as well. So. Yeah. So, I mean, so yeah, I hope it's good. I, yeah, totally. Um, and of course I love them. I've always liked Emily Blunt. Like, so um, yeah. yeah, I guess the question is just going to be how, it does ultimately look like it's some kind of creatures and stuff. It's and then it's going to be how do they, how do they take their, how does Krasinski take? Did he write it or just direct it? He there's a script that was already written and I guess he's also on board. So maybe he did like another pass at it or something. Okay, like so, how do they take the premise of you know not wanting of trying to be as quiet as possible and how do they, what what is, thematically how does that tie into? dealing with some kind of monster like i guess that'll be the thing but i'll, I'll also note that it's coming from michael bay's platinum dune studios so the sound design is going to be on point in this movie i can tell you that much right now. <laughs> <laughs> um i i agree with you guys i do think there's a lot of potential here i've been jokingly calling this it comes at white because <laughs> um, i do think it comes at night is a really good movie and it's one that delivers exactly on peter what you'd want this movie to be as far as it doesn't boil down to 
convention, it goes in a different direction. It doesn't kind of just, you know, make it into action scenes involving CG monsters. Um, I'd like to think that this movie can maybe do something along those lines as well, but based off hints in the trailer, it probably goes in another direction. So, and again, it's from a Michael Bay studio as opposed to, you know, A24. So I think the expectation I have, um, I'm trying not to think about what bad things can happen and just more hoping it can deliver on its premise overall. In the same way, I mean, if you want to talk about kind of like CG third acts that kind of go wild, you can think of like something like 10 Cloverfield Lane, which delivers both on character and on spectacle. Yeah, but here's so that, sure. here's the counterpoint, though. Here's uh-huh. my I'll sum up my fears of what A Quiet Place might be with this. I Am Legend. Yeah. Which is a movie that is I will defend the first 60 minutes of that movie yes. as an absolute masterpiece mm-hmm. and then falls apart so thoroughly that I'm still mad about it. 10 years later, 11 years later, or whatever, like that's, that, that's my fear for a quiet place is this cool setup. And then it's going to devolve into standard CGI monster, uh, BS. I, I am legend might be the one movie where everybody that dislikes that movie has the exact same reason. <laughs> there's no, like, there's no real like yeah. separation of like, why did you dislike it? Oh, the performance is okay. No, it's because this, because these monsters happened and they were terrible and the, the dog died. Like, I mean, it's like all this happens in like one false swoop uh, as far as where the, yeah. where the movie yeah. goes off the rails. Um, but regardless, a quiet place arrives in theaters, um, April 6th. It's premiering at South by Southwest in March, but yeah, April 6th is when it hits theaters. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, well, with all that out of the way, guys, let's move on now. Let's get to our main film review for Annihilation. Your husband's here. Let me see him. He's extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the Shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. It's beautiful. That should have been some of the trailer for Annihilation. Alex Garland has gone from novelist to screenwriter to director. After some time in Danny Boyle and Dreadland, he made his feature film debut of Ex Machina, one of the most acclaimed films of 2015. Now he's followed that up with Annihilation, a cinematic adaptation of a novel by Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, Natalie Portman stars as a biologist who signs up for a dangerous mission to explore an area known as The Shimmer. A mysterious spot that is slowly growing and where teams of soldiers have disappeared into already, including Portman's husband, played by Oscar Isaac, the only person to come back. Upon entering, the latest exploration team finds the laws of nature have been bent in a peculiar way that only makes the world more dangerous. Peter Paris, were you happy to enter the Shimmer? I was overall. Um, I've been reading, you and I saw it together, and I've been reading... Uh, a lot of other people's takes uh, and stuff on it, and you know, I get the criticism. I I think you know, I mean, the the two things for me. Um, one, it's so funny, David. You were just talking about you. I think you said something about you like you like movies that are quiet. Is that what you were saying? People that don't yeah. talk. <laughs> People don't talk. People don't talk. And like Under the Skin is not necessarily quiet because of that score, but um, I'm I am a fan lately of like science fiction and horror that is more kind of takes its time and, and it has a lot of like, 
just like pauses. A lot of moments where like you're kind of like letting things hang in the air. And this movie certainly has that. Um, and it, it very much reminds me of um, the Russian filmmaker. Um, is it Andrei Tarkovsky? Tarkovsky, yeah. yeah. Stalker and Solaris. And I'm a big fan. So for me, seeing a movie like Annihilation with a $55 million budget on a big screen, you know, by Alex Garland with a, you know, a cast I really like. That is, I mean, you've pretty much got me. Like, unless the movie's terrible, you've pretty much got my money. Um, but I understand, and I guess we can do this, is I, I, I do sort of understand some of the criticisms I've been hearing. But overall, yeah. I mean, in fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I might try it, if I have the time, I might try to go see it one more time before it leaves theaters. So I overall, yeah, it was very much the kind of, it's very much in my wheelhouse, like, I guess. All right. Dave, before I get to you, I just want to speak to Annihilation's performance this weekend. It made $11 million at the box office, which, debatable how successful that is. I will also note that it has a C cinema score, <laughs> meaning that audiences in general not too taken by Annihilation, which is something I kind of predicted as far as a hard sci-fi film with a deliberate pace. Um, but Peter, or sorry, but David, what did you think of Annihilation? Uh, I I loved it it, for all the reasons that I think audiences probably aren't uh, as over the moon about it because it's uh, it's you know, it's a great movie for people like us who see a ton of movies because it's something a little weirder, a little more different. And also one of the things I love about it is probably, again, a thing that's not going to play well with audiences is that I love that it's a like you said, a hard sci fi movie that is willing to at the end sort of shrug its shoulders and be like, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, that's uh, that is almost I don't want to give spoilers. That's almost literally the note that the movie ends on. Just like, uh, uh, yeah, we don't know. We set up this whole, uh, it, you know, these metaphors and, and stuff about whether you think it's about the environment or about the end of the world. Or those things are probably related. Uh, and I, I, I like how open ended the, the movie is. Um while not also feeling, in, which is not, I don't mean, I don't mean to imply that it's in any way like phoned in. Also, it's obviously very, very like uh, thoroughly considered every element of this movie, even down to like, uh, and again, I can't go into too many de- many details, but the opening of the movie is just a shot of a meteor sort of, ha- you know, making its way through the atmosphere, uh, and even like the visual design of that shot ends up being recalled in the in, in the finale with the sort of like the way it's like a pulsating circle type of type of look and so it's as cool as the movie looks i don't think alice garland did anything because it looked cool first and foremost like he seems to have fully thought this movie out uh and it gives you so much to ponder and it also doesn't give you any sort of um uh safety net in pondering those things like i think it really is a movie about the idea that we we're facing these environmental fears and global warming. And we're, we're talking about as humans, we are conceited enough to be talking about the end of the world. But I think what annihilation is saying is like, no, this is, we're just looking at the end of us. The world is going to go, is going to move on to the next phase. Interesting. Um, And in a way we'll still be a part of it in terms of our cells, like life, will continue it just won't our consciousness might not continue and our uh human hegemony might not continue but um you know it, to to quote jurassic park life finds a way and that way isn't necessarily going to be uh kind 
to to us. But there's there's also kind of there's beauty in that, too. I mean, the, the movie is uh, I think it is it reminded me of a number of things when you mentioned Tarkovsky for sure in terms of the the, the way it's contemplative and, and deliberately paced. But it also reminded me a lot of Brian Fuller's Hannibal series. Yeah. Yeah. In the way that yeah. it's it's sort of baroquely grotesque, but very beautiful at the same time. And so you get you get, you know, body horror, you get I mean, there's the uh, again, not to, I know the listeners haven't all seen the movie, but the there's a dead body they find in a swimming pool that is decomposed in a very specific way to the shimmer that really could have been a shot right out of Hannibal. That's the first thing I, yeah, I it's, thought of. It's gross, oh, but the use of color is pretty spectacular, and there Peter is just eating popcorn while all this is happening. It's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hungry, um, but I, I actually was also thinking, and I know, like David, I don't know how much you play video games, but that specific scene you're think, that you're bringing up, I totally see what you're talking about for Hannibal, but I also thought that Last that of scene... Us? Yeah, The Last of Us. I was like, hmm, Alex Garland might be pretty good to direct The Last of Us, like, you know, with this art department. See, that's, um, the, that's the thought I honestly I hate, where it's like, <laughs> I mean, he made he made this movie. I, like, that doesn't make me think, okay, this guy, now, this guy, now this guy should make some junky video game adaptation that's probably going to suck because he made a movie that looks like it. I, I, thought you, <laughs> I thought you liked The Last of Us. I love The Last of Us. I don't like video game movies because they suck. Like, that's the problem with them. <laughs> well, and, this, I know, but don't you want... To, don't you want that to finally change? I like, want that I mean, to finally change. You know, I'm an optimistic person in general, and this is going way off topic, but where is my faith supposed to be when, you know, 50 out of 50 are, you know, mostly terrible? If, like, at the, <laughs> I know, I, I know. I'm so just, it's like, okay, this guy, this, this guy made this amazing movie, quote unquote, so now we should sign him up to do like a junkier version of that movie? <laughs> like... <laughs> Well, I guess yeah, I'm just. I think that's that's the thing because I'm I'm not a big video game uh, uh-huh. guy at all. I don't really know much about the. Although I've heard you, you guys aren't the first people I've heard mention The Last of Us in in relation to Annihilation, so maybe I should check that out. But to me, just the idea that Alex Garland is developing this rep- reputation as a guy who's making really good original sci-fi. Why do we want to chain him to an existing IP? That's. Well, but- well, but Annihilation was an existing IP. It's a trilogy. It's, yeah, it's a true. book. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm just that's, saying. But, uh, everyone says, I haven't, I haven't read the book, but I'm told that it, um, it's wildly like different. the premise of the book, but it deviates pretty wildly. Yeah, from, yeah, from, from, actually, what, I've, from what I've learned, it's that he had a manuscript of Jeff Vandermeer's first novel, and this is before there were even sequels to said novel. Like, there, he didn't even, you know, realize that they were, like, you know, it's going off places, and he just kind of took the basics and went in his own direction um and we can talk about that if we want to as far as how it speaks to the supposed white whitewashing controversy where natalie portman stark is a character that eventually is revealed to be asian although that by the time that's revealed garland was already making the film before there were even books that existed to reveal that information so it's like it's a bit a little bit of a gray area as far as how at fault someone might be um I, i'm reading the book right now um and yeah it's very much like the lead character is just named the biologist. Like it is, everything is very sparse. So there's no way you would know. Uh, um, let me, let, you... let me speak okay. to my thoughts. Cause I haven't talked about the movie. Yet. Um, oh, um, I like it quite a bit. My expectations really turned around when I started hearing the kind of about the screening stuff, about how there was a screening, uh, a test screening and audiences were somewhat put off. And then there was, there was discussion about, how to change the movie or whatnot to make it more conventional, even though Alex Garland has final cut. 
And so my my expectations went from, well, it's Alex Garland making a new movie to, oh, Alex Garland's making a movie that is probably not going to play to too much convention, um, which I should have expected anyway. But the idea that a studio was really worried about it made me more intrigued by it. Um, it didn't speak well to the movie's eventual performance since it's only coming out in America and it's going to go on Netflix international territories, which is a shame because it should be seen on a big screen. It's a great looking movie. Um, but so upon seeing the film... Yes, I really like it, but uh, in watching it, you know, the path it takes is fairly straightforward in my eyes. Until it gets to kind of its end point, I was like, and I, and I, that's not a criticism. It's just more of how I'm, how I'm seeing the film. It's going down of, I mean, beyond some kind of flashbacks and flash forwards, I guess. The path the film takes to get to its eventual destination doesn't play against things that I've seen in other movies. I mean, even you can. I've been kind of just saying this movie is like Predator by way of Under the Skin, which I think is pretty accurate as far as what it's kind of accomplishing. <laughs> um, but so in watching it, by the time it gets, while watching it, I was thinking, okay, if there's something that's going to happen in this movie that suddenly makes it too complex for audiences to understand, supposedly, because I think certain audiences are much smarter than studios give them credit for, then it has to be like the end's going to get really weird and messed up. And it does. It gets into this really weird zone where things happen, even before it gets to kind of its climactic thing there's things involving certain characters that are like okay now it's taking some turns um and i enjoy all that i enjoy how this movie puts forth its kind of mission statement it goes about it 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 has some interesting ideas of course and then it gets to this weird not quite 2001 ending but certainly something that's kind of going above and beyond as far as what you're seeing but in getting there yes you get a lot of great visuals you get some really solid performances here you have i mentioned natalie portman you also have jennifer jason lee gina rodriguez tessa thompson uh tuva navatni um and they get they're all you know they work well together in an almost curious way where because they're in this zone there's a sort of curious if you guys recognize this too kind of an off-putting way that they're speaking to each other do you guys understand what i'm saying when i say that yeah i kind of do like there seems like there's there's a deliberate not stiltedness, but there's something that's just kind of like a couple degrees in another direction than you'd expect in a movie if they weren't in a, a you know, a, a danger zone that has all kinds of weird things going on. And I like that. I like that there's that, you know, you have Garland putting a film like this together and he has to get very specific performances out of his cast and they deliver on that. And um, speaking of the cast, Oscar Isaac, whose role is fairly minimal compared to the others, obviously, he's... I, I'm a big Oscar Isaac fan. I think I made that clear on this podcast, but he's really good in these like little roles. Um, and other examples I have of that are is he like he has a brief he, like he's briefly in Drive where he has one of my favorite scenes, mm-hmm. and he's briefly in like The Bourne. Which one is it? The Bourne Legacy with Jeremy Renner, right? Which is like yeah. the best scene in that film because it's just like two men talking and it's very tense. Um, it has there's no action going on. It's just two people talking in a very tense way, and he has the same role in Drive. Essentially, he, tra- he talks to Ryan Gosling at one point. And I just, as much as I like seeing like lots of Oscar Isaac in movies, there's he's great in these kind of little roles where it's very, it's very much minimalized to here I am sitting across the table from somebody else talking about something, and he does that really well here. No one knew anything about your unit. I contacted everyone, everyone I could. The other partners knew just as little as me. Pakistan again? I, I don't know where it was, or. What it was. How is that possible? You must be able to tell me something. You vanished off the face of the earth for 12 months. 
I deserve a better explanation than no explanation. Does it matter? Along with some other stuff that happens that I won't get into. But no, I, I really like the film. I think there's... For Alex Garland, who's had an interesting career in my eyes as far as writing some very specific kind of sci-fi films and now going on to his own as far as directed films, he's made... They're very similar, actually, if you look at some of the things going on in Ex Machina and Annihilation, but that movie's on a, you know, it's on a claustrophobic type area. It spreads, it gets a little wider, actually, but this movie, you know, gets a, a lot bigger as far as what it's doing, and it works. It, it does a good job. Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, only because with bringing up Oscar Isaac, I was trying to think... Um, I love. I think. I, I think Oscar Isaac is terrific in supporting roles and in lead. I mean, uh, Lewin Davis is like one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies in the in the two thousands. Um, but question: um, Has Oscar Isaac been in a movie where his chemistry with the uh, with his partner is like kind of vital? Because if I was going to say a weakness to this movie, I like the scenes. I think you're talking about that is more kind of unusual, like Oscar Isaac talking to Natalie Portman and what does this mean? But there's also parts in the movies that are like flashbacks, which is showing what their marriage was like. And I don't buy them as a couple. And a part of me is like, huh. I was like, I mean, I don't know if it's Natalie Portman or it's both of them. And then it started to make me go, well, wait a minute. Have I not seen Oscar Isaac in that kind of a role? Like everything you've just mentioned, drive and things like that they're not that kind of a role. And so it just made me wonder, I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. Like he's, he's really terrific and charismatic, but I didn't really feel that these two people were ever in love. Cause I don't want to give too much of the story away, but between, what did you guys between, between drive and inside Lewin Davis, uh, he and Carrie Mulligan just are not meant to each other. I mean, I know that. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, uh, David, what do you think? What do you think of the, I, I, I definitely, I did buy those, uh, the flashback um, scenes. I mean, they're they're very brief, but the um, the the one in particular where they're laying in bed and he's talking about like he's trying to be romantic, talking about the stars, and she kind of like uh, you know takes the takes the piss out of out of him. I I, I bought that kind of like uh, that they have um, in addition to being you know, married and everything. I bought that they were friends. Do you know what I mean? Like they have a, they're both intelligent people have respect for each other, enough respect to kind of make fun of each other a little bit, which is very similar to me and my wife's relationship. So maybe, you know, maybe I, I just saw me and my wife in that sort of uh, poking fun at each other thing. I would, I agree with what David's saying. I think there's also, there are undertones, I think, that are very deliberate, not to get into where the film goes, but I do think that there's these characters that are going into the shimmer, they're su they're kind of volunteering, and there needs to be, I guess, some kind of reason for that, which I think the film does go into a bit, and I do think that yeah. might speak to why there might be, in some instances, a seeming unease to those people together. Maybe not in the scene that David you're referring to, because I do think yes, that's just two actors that are doing a good job of making it seem believable that they're together. Um, but I do think as the film carries on and you learn more about Oscar Isaac's character as well as Portman's character, um, you get more of a sense that there's more than just hey, we're a loving couple. I agree. Wait, oh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, because um, you guys brought up the whole book uh, translation. Did you, either of you guys see the film um, or also read the book? Um, the ruins 
Yes, I've, I have I seen the ruins. The book. I didn't see the movie, but yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've seen the ruins and I actually did think about, especially because of certain creatures that emerge um, for obvious reasons if you've sure. seen the film. But it's interesting because I saw the ruins and I liked it. Um, I, I, I thought it was solid. I, I thought it was pretty good. And I would I say read... The Ruins is an underrated movie. It's quite, it's, 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 uh, it's quite good uh, as far as being both different. Like, it's not perfect, but it's a different kind of horror movie, and it has some real... There's some real problems with it, but at the same time, it's... You know, if you're, like, a horror fan, it delivers on some pretty gnarly scenes in that film. Oh, for sure, for sure. And here's the thing that I was going to say that, to me, is interesting. Again, this is a person I've... Uh, I've, I've both seen and read The Ruins. I've seen Annihilation. And who's, the, uh, who's the author of The Ruins? Scott oh, Smith, I think is his name. It's Scott Smith, yeah. right? Yeah, because he wrote um, A Simple Plan also. A Simple Plan, yeah. 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 But here's, here's what the thing that I think is kind of interesting, um, that as much as I like The Ruins, the movie, and also liking Annihilation, the film, what's kind of interesting is that the book, The Ruins, is really subverts a lot of expectations in the traditional, like, I guess the traditional, like horror movie, um, uh, direction, uh-huh. like who you would think survive. It, it flips all of that. And the movie is not like that. And I will say that in annihilation, I've read the first, like the first act so far. And it's also a lot, it subverts a lot more than I thought. It's a lot. It's weird. Cause I like both, these film versions, but already just reading the book annihilation, I was like, huh, well, like that's weird. I was like, I wonder why Garland didn't make this choice because this choice is even, even more radical than like what the movie's doing. And again, I don't want to give too much away. Well, I think what you're speaking, they, I think what you're speaking to is, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's might be a desire for David, you talk about, I mean, like people that like us that see a lot of movies, there might be a desire to want to see something that's different. And annihilation certainly is different, but at the same time, the idea of just like subverting things because hey we can subvert stuff to play with your expectations that doesn't always necessarily mean like you know it's better because of this like because it's going down a certain path and it's choosing to subvert everything that you expect from a movie like this that doesn't automatically make it good no and i think well the thing that i'm thinking that is true with annihilation i'm not really sure if i would think it works with ruins because with ruins i think it may i think it would have actually been a little stronger if they had gone with what the book does I think maybe what's going on with here with the book of Annihilation is, and I had heard this before in some of the reviews, um, I think Annihilation has that, and we've heard this with certain books, that whole it's unfilmable quality. And I'm wondering if some of the things that I'm liking wouldn't work as well in a movie. And that's why Garland chose made the choices that he did at the, but, end, at the end of the day he's a filmmaker who knows what right. he's written a number of screenplays at this point like he knows how to kind of construct a narrative and you know if you're taking a exactly. book that has no character names little identity sparse detail you got to kind of fill those gaps um I, I will say one thing that i definitely like about the the book that i feel again yes it's a gap thing is that uh yeah you basically get to the shimmer on page 11 and as I recall in the movie, it's like, what, maybe 40 minutes? I mean, like, it takes a while to, to actually get there. Like, the book, they're like, bam! It's like, and we're in it. So I was like, wow, that was fast. Um, Let's speak to that. David, what did you think of kind of the pacing of this film and its, like, structure? Uh, I, I, I mostly liked it. I did think that it kind of, there is a bit uh, of a lull b- before they before they get into the shimmer. Just at the, like... It's store. It just starts to to run out of steam a little bit. I think there's a 
there was the only one time in the entire movie that I was like, all right, let's get on with it was there's a scene between Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee and Jennifer Jason Lee's office. And I kind of felt like, okay, yeah, we know they're going in at this point. Like we don't need, yeah, we don't need all this. Um, but that was, that's a minor quibble in uh, a movie that I really think, especially once it gets into the shimmer, um, it could, it, it could be accused of being, slow but i don't think slow is the right word because i think uh the the level of tension sustains the the pace it never uh it never loses momentum it's just it's not moving at a breakneck speed which i understand you know probably again probably added to that c cinema score um because it's not you know i don't know uh it's not a fast and the furious movie or anything like that um <laughs> Uh, but I, uh, yeah, I would say other, other than it, you know, uh, that one scene that I would have maybe uh, picked up the pace on, um, I, I think uh, I really like the the way the movie moved. You mentioned uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, and I have to wonder because she plays, she's Doctor Ventress, she's a psychologist. Um, she must have like the worst bedside manner as a psycho, like the, the the way she delivers her lines and the way she talks to people. I kept thinking she's a psychologist. Yeah. Like I don't think I'd ever want to have her as my psychologist. That that, that was. No, but I think I mean I think we learn things about her that kind of explain that. Yeah, I do too. But at the same time, it's like I'm trying to picture this character outside of this you know kind of position right. she's in of explore of being like you know the arbiter of knowledge involving the shimmer, and it's like. God, this must be the most depressing psychologist. <laughs> it's like your person to talk to. It was like it's, it's not helping. But that leads me to want to talk about these performances. Did you guys like the performances all around? Is there anyone that stood out, stood out to you? Uh, well, this this Natalie Portman. Uh, keep an eye on her. You know, I think <laughs> turned into something. Uh, I thought everyone was terrific. I I do feel that. I wonder if there's a longer cut because I feel like um, Aaron, you're you're so good with names. Who's the one? Um, Generally, because I'm looking right at them, so I know. (laughs) Yes, I have the names in front of me. The one who's, uh, I think she plays Jane the Virgin on the CW show. Yeah, Gina Rodriguez, yeah. We have to go back. We have to go back now. She's right. I I really don't know how much more right she has to be. Okay, and I agree with you. We should go back. Good. Okay, great. There we go. Okay, so the three of us can just pack up Hold on a minute. Hold on. We should go back, yes, but it took us, what, six days to get here? And the coast is two days away. You're saying that we get out by going deeper in? Yeah, if you like, yeah. Like? No, I don't like. This isn't some tactic to get us to the lighthouse, is it? I believe that the coast is the best route out. Okay? There, she's she's terrific from, like, frame one. Um, I really like her. I like her type of character. There is a leap that kind of happens with her character that I think the actress is good, but there's a part of me that feels like we missed something. There's like a beat or two where I'm like, wait, I was like, well, that, that happened really quick. Um, but, but again, I, I'm gonna, I, I would disagree with you. Uh, I think, I think what, the, I think the, the groundwork is laid there for that. But they only line the ground. It's like one scene. Like, I don't, and again, that's the scene that happens is terrific. The, the, it's a, it's genuinely to me, the only really scary scene in the movie, like where I was like, wow, that's a, really creepy kind of monster but really you thought i feel like they only i feel like that character brings up one thing that she's that she's kind of like i don't know if i trust this and then in the next scene it's pretty much like she's like full-blown like paranoia like i I think there's there's more than one thing and i think 
there's there's a couple of times where she's kind of trying to insist on rational explanations for things where the laws of physics as we know them are no longer applying. And to me, that was enough to uh, to explain that maybe she might at some point just lose her mind. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. But I, I feel like we're getting too far into spoilers with that. Well, yeah. No, it's, yeah. I don't want to lean too far into it either. But I do. I agree more with Dave because it was something I did initially question, but then I kind of thought back on what the movie presented me with as far as her character and, and the other characters is where they would go. And if anything, uh, I think uh, Tessa Thompson's character might take a turn that I not sure if everything was laid out for because of certain reveals that happen later in the game. Where it's. It's tricky I mean, because the, the the universe that they, they're the shimmer has such a unique effect on all of them for various reasons, um, where it's hard to it's hard to grasp. Like, well, it. I mean, Garland made this film. He it's not like he walked in thinking, okay, I did enough there. I mean, I'm sure he has a, you know logical explanations exactly why things happen. But as far as me, the audience member, believing why things took the direction they did. There is a speediness. There's a speediness to things that happen with some characters. On the Rodriguez character, I can, I, I'm more side with David, where I think it there is some justification as to why things need to proceed the way they do. But then with Thompson's character, I was also like, well, that's that ramped up quickly as far as things we kind of see uh, happening to her. Um, but overall, I do think that yes, it's a it's a strong, strongly performed film. I mean, they're all doing the job that they need to do to kind of convey the otherworldliness of the place that they're in and how they're responding based off who these people are. I mean, there's a very, there's a specific reason why each of them is entering into the shimmer. Um, yeah. So, I, I yeah, think it, we, it, yeah, we, the, the scene that kind of lays that out is from, I'll, you know, yeah, everyone's good in the movie, but I guess I'll point out Tuva Novotnoy just because I was not really familiar with her. She was the only, the only thing I've seen her in looking at her IMDb is, um, Tobias Lindholm's a war where she was kind of a, kind of a, by the numbers wife role. Um, so uh, I was really impressed by, by Tuva Nuvatnoi. I would agree too, because yeah, there's a, I think the lack of familiarity, I think makes it, you know, somewhat different. Cause there's a, you don't with a film like this, where it's not necessarily like a slasher movie, but I mean, there's certainly a, there's, there's stakes are present where these, these characters could all, you know, either one by one or in a whole or at various points in the movie, just, just not be involved anymore. So, yeah, and that's one that's one where that could go either way. That could go in any number of directions. And so, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think Portman, she does a good job of you know relating to each of these characters. I mean, she's you know she's the primary lead in this movie. She's, she's in basically every scene. Uh, actually, yeah, she is in like every scene, isn't she? Um, and uh, so you know, having her relate to each of these people in separate ways, I do think that makes a difference as far as ha- how you handle kind of seeing where they go. I don't want to speak about the ending too much, but I, I will. I was just going to say, while we're on the subject, yeah, without going into what's in the ending, while on the subject of performances, uh-huh. in a movie like this that is as slow-moving and has long parts without dialogue, physical performance is very important. And I think Natalie Portman's just physical work in the finale uh, of the movie is really impressive. I would I would go so far as to say, well, I, I agree, I love that. Um, but I would even say... Even when I saw the trailer, this is going to sound so weird. It's just because you're mentioning physical. Like I remember when I saw the trailer, the the image that stuck out, and it's fantastic in the movie. It's that shot of like I guess it's like a slow motion shot of her with the rifle, and it's like she's like shooting the rifle. It's something we can't see, 
And there's such like she has such an intensity and the way her like her her like cheekbones are kind of quivering. There's such a there's something so powerful about that image to me. Um, and again, and I, I also agree with you about the end, like her physicality. But that really speaks to me. It's a very like it almost feels very much like an iconic image already from a very new uh, film. Mm. Oh, wait, one thing I wanted to ask you guys. Yep. Um, we had this has been brought up many times, not just with Aaron and I, but I think a lot of people um, Garland as a writer. The criticism that he usually has is that he has pretty good, like first two thirds and that he can't really kind of close it. He can't really put it all together. I definitely felt that with like 28 Days Later um, in Sunshine. Sunshine gets picked on a lot for that. Yeah, yeah I think that he got better uh, with Ex Machina, but it took me a couple times to see it to kind of warm over this movie i actually think the thing that i think you're talking about that we're not going to talk about i think that actually works pretty well for last act having said that there is something about the end that i am a little eh on well but i just wanted to see what you guys thought about garland in general about his endings well i'll point out two things uh, uh as far as his previous work i think never let me go and dread are great examples of him coming up be, getting over some of the issues i have with how his third x goes so at this point in his career i'm there's there's less of the movies that i think have inferior third acts to to not i, I think he's, he's done a good job of kind of balancing that that issue um, regardless if he sees it as an issue, I sir, I I know I have, and I think he's had a number of films that really, I don't concern myself with it anymore. And as far as this film goes, this might be his best. <laughs> it's like there's, there's, the way things play out, I think, are pretty spectacular um, from a kind of a visual level as well as a just kind of how the stories. It's very, it you know it it earns this. It it earns this kind of like off the deep end moment of like okay now we're going here and it's a flurry of kind of effects work performance story what have you all in this kind of one thing and with all that said yes the last 30 seconds of this movie it does speak to david you're kind of thought of like yep like <laughs> it's just kind of, like there we are um, but at the same time i was kind of like well there might be an implication there that i kind of roll my eyes at but i'm not exactly sure maybe you know subsequent viewings would help with that uh, but David, your, th- your thoughts on Garland? Uh, I, uh, I I really liked the end of Ex Machina as well. But yeah, in general, I definitely see how he's had um, like yeah, Twenty Eight Days Later is a, a great example of uh, I love that movie. And then when I rewatch it, I kind of forget about how it ends, and I'm like, oh right, <laughs> it's this. like Twenty Eight Weeks Later um, is is awesome. <laughs> I think Twenty Eight Weeks Later is a great movie all the way through. Um, but uh, I don't know if you guys ever read the novel The Beach, which Danny Boyle made. Uh, but Alex Garland wrote the novel. He didn't. Um, Right. John Hodge adapted the screenplay and yeah, the novel ends in a different, they changed the ending because the novel is uh, kind of nuts. Uh, I don't know if you guys read it. I haven't read the novel, but I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the movie, the beach either. So it's like, all right, I don't know what really the, the change up was that oh. made it better. I, uh, I like that beat. I like that movie a lot, but um, mm-hmm. the, the ending of the novel is, I won't go into, into details. It's really gruesome. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't sound like the movie. <laughs> Wait, as I recall, doesn't the beach get pretty violent towards the end? It, like, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but yeah, it does. But I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the movie The Beach has a gruesome ending. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I like, um, by the way, I like that that um, Danny Boyle took a Garland novel, got his man Hodge to write it, and then for his next movie, he's like, "All right, bye, Hodge," and he got Garland to write his movie for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut out the middleman. <laughs> yeah. <that's... laughs> True. Um, yeah. 
so it sounds like we're all we all like this movie. Yeah, I mean, David, you love this movie. I, I, I think Peter and I really like this movie, and it's certainly, I'd say, yes, audiences should go see something like this because you don't get things like this very often. That means, you know, supporting it gets you more of these kind of things. Which yeah. is, you know. I, I know it's still only February, but this, I would say, this is my favorite movie of the year so far that has been released. I, I, I got to see a couple of things at Sundance that are coming out later that I would probably put above this, but uh, I think this is my favorite, yeah, favorite movie of the year so far. Probably my until favorite. I see Red Sparrow tomorrow. Oh yes, uh, it's probably my favorite too. But I mean, I I mean, I understand most people are going to say Black Panther. Like, I mean, and I like Black Panther a lot. But I, again, it's just a wheelhouse thing where I'm just like, well, but yeah. I mean, if someone told me Black Panther is their favorite movie, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Like, you know, um, we're not, for we're you, not talking about Paddington Two enough, which I don't know why. Oh, I forgot. well, actually, yeah, Paddington Two is very good. Also, yeah, you're again wheelhouse. Well, wait for you, Aaron. You like all three of these. Is Black Panther or Paddington your favorite? Of of because I think I'm assuming Annihilation would be third. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be third. Um, Black Panther will stick in my mind more as the future comes than Paddington Two will, even though I really like Paddington. I'll put it that way. Yeah. As far as what it's doing for you know the world. <laughs> so, sure, sure. Absolutely. Beyond here's here's a great example of pleasantness is Paddington Two, where it's like okay, this actually could you know things could change based off this other thing that's going on with, that, with Black Panther, which made a colossal like 106 million dollars this weekend again. By the way, like it's, it's a great hold. Um, regardless, Annihilation. Um, any other final thoughts? The score is great, by the way. Very haunting. Yeah. It's, it's a great score. It's by yeah, what's, yeah. what's like uh, one of the guys from Portishead and. Um, uh, what Ben Salisbury? Yeah, it's like this guy's that did Ex Machina also. Well, let me ask you this: uh, sort of going to your, I guess, going to your Moon versus Under the Skin. You know, does this change uh, movies or the filmmaking or if in, in in because the movie did not do that well this weekend in an alternate universe? Would you have liked? Let's say Annihilation did well. Would you guys like to have seen Garland do the next two books with the cast and everything? That's a question I do have. Do, like, David, do you think this kind of... I know there's... Yeah, this is based off a book that eventually became a trilogy. Do, would you think that there's room for more of this world in future films? I, my general philosophy uh, is to be anti-sequel, so I say if it ain't broke, <laughs> don't fix it. All right. Yeah, and normally... I, I would normally agree with David, but I, I, I thought that the author of this, I think he conceived it kind of like a Lord of the Rings. He wrote it as one big thing, so that makes me feel like it's because I agree. Yes, in general, I'm like uh, just stick with one good story. But from what I heard, I think he it's conceived as a three part thing. So that makes me kind of want to see the other two. Well, that I mean that speaks to Jeff Vandermeer, the author, versus Garland, who I don't think. And watching this movie, I don't think it really goes to a place where it's like, well, if this movie does really well, then we can definitely make more of it. I don't I don't see this movie as that. They see this movie as pretty closed off. I would agree. I but I have to wonder if Paramount saw this as a, you know, the first of three. I think before they started having test screenings, they might have. Like, they're like, right. okay, he's making a movie, and this author apparently has more books, and we got this Garland guy who did really well with that Ex Machina movie. Yeah, we can make a whole franchise out of this. Like, and, you know, we got a, a big-name star. Like, you know, I think there are elements there that speak to the potential in the studio's eyes of, you know, milking it as far as much as they're worth. But based off the final product that was delivered... I don't quite know. I don't. I don't quite see it going anywhere else. So, in some, in some marketing uh, office in Paramount last year, there might have been a mock-up poster that was like 
Southern Reach Trilogy, colon, Annihilation. <laughs> yeah. right? And then they're like, oh, that's, uh, that's not going to happen. Let's take that part off. Like, um... Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. And, you know, if this was Universal, you could get plenty of directed DVD sequels, you know, and you can just do it that way. You know, Shimmer Returns and all that. But <laughs> still shimmering. Uh, still, no, yeah. still shimmering. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on Annihilation before we move on? Nope. Uh, nope. Nope. All right, cool. Well, when should people go and see this movie? Peter, when, when should people see this movie? Well, you know, I, again, I, if you're like me and you like these type of, I think what David was saying, hard sci-fi, I say go see it in theaters. But, look, money, movies are expensive, and, you know, if for you seeing a movie is like, it's got to be 100% awesome, I mean, this movie does have some issues, then I guess you could probably wait for Netflix. But if... if I mean, the big thing for me is I, I think and I think we would kind of all agree beyond just hard sci fi. I feel like the tone of this feels a little more adult and I feel like I want to support movies that feel like they're made for a little older like audiences. And if that's if that's your thing, then go see it. But know that, no, it's not perfect, but it's still, I think, you know, is a, a satisfying experience. David, how about you? I say go see it tonight. Uh it's um and for a lot of the reasons that Peter's saying because I want I want a movie like this to do well enough that we get to see more movies like this um you know getting 55 million dollar budgets and getting theatrical releases but I also just think it's a really uh, immersive and impressive theatrical experience um that I I mean I'm I'm I've, I've never been like a theatrical viewing uh purist so I understand if you have to wait for Netflix for, like you said, financial reasons, you're still going to see a great movie. I understand, um, and that's that's fine. But uh, I, I do think it's it's a it's a big movie in ideas and in presentation, the way it looks, the way it sounds. Uh, it's movie tickets are expensive, but this one on spectacle alone might be worth it. I agree with that point right there. I do think that the the films you know the the kind of what it's delivering on a visual level is enough to be like yeah this is good for a big screen it helps that the movie's also quite good and you know worth your time and support for it means more things like it ideally um and yes it is a very it's a very r-rated movie we didn't talk much about the violence in this movie, but it's pretty it gets pretty right, intense yeah. at times there's there's some um I guess deballing might be the best way to put it. But there's there's de a lot of things actually. There's some de, things that yeah, are dejawing. Dejawing, yes. There's there's some imagery yeah. in here that uh, won't leave the mind. And yeah, body horror certainly is a way to describe some scenes as well. But I mean, regardless, I'm at a. I always wonder who how many people are really walking randomly into things at this point. So it's like I feel like if you see the trailer for Annihilation. It does for me. I, I know some people, some people have been criticizing Paramount's kind of marketing job for this movie if they've dumped it. Um, regardless of how ample the advertisement was for this movie, I think the ad that we got, the main trailer that we got, does a good job of selling what I got from this movie. Like I, 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 I walk into this and I have certain expectations. Like I know it's not going to be this fast-paced thrill ride, and I also, you know, the journey that these characters are going on, it's not hard to follow. Um, I understand there might be some kind of diff I don't know why, but there might be some difficulty in and that speak like something like Arrival, which I think is fairly similar as far as its pacing, its tone and what have you, that was a huge hit. I mean that worked out for everybody. So it's like I don't know what the separation is here between beyond just the fact that one's more possibly more of a downer than the other. But you know, regardless. Made like a hundred million dollars, right? Yeah, and you know, what got a whole bunch of Oscar nominations. Yeah, so it was a huge hit and got it got, you know. Dude. 
Yeah. It's like, do you it's, think there's a, among audiences at least? Do you think by February there's a sort of like taking movies seriously fatigue? <laughs> and if this movie came out in November and was like this is a big important science fiction movie, maybe people will be more uh, the you know the lay uh, theater goer will be more uh, willing to have patience with it. Whereas by February, you know they want uh, a, a reprieve from all the um, sitting and thinking they've been doing for the last three months. I, I'm very curious. I'd be I'd be curious to see kind of a scale of how that works with like both like genre versus audience attendance. I'd be very curious what that looks like if there is a kind of separation between audiences and more like frilly or popcorny type films versus something that's more serious in a you know an era where you have all the Oscar films coming out and generally uh, delivering on you know heavier emotions. So yeah, if if Annihilation did come out in November, I'd be I'd be curious how that would have played if it would have played any better than it does here. Um, so yeah, I just I don't know. I, I don't I don't know what the answer to that is. If, if that's but then again, the the Middlebrow bourgeois uh, viewers would have been turned off by the the violence, probably. I would suppose, uh, but <laughs> it's an interesting thing to think about. Honestly, I'm, I'm not I'm not quite sure where things would go where where it released at a different time. Uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know the answer to that one. But I do know it's a good movie, and you should go see it in theaters. So there you go. Um, all right, well, that's our review for Annihilation. Let's move on now. Let's get to some out-now feedback. Feedback, feedback. We're going to go over the various questions and answers from our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We asked you listeners a number of questions that you gave us answers to, and then you asked us a question that we can give an answer to. Uh, I'm going to read through those now. Peter and David, feel free to lend your answers as well as I go through these questions. And... Uh, here we go. First up, favorite sci-fi film adaptation. Adam writes, Children of Men and Contact. Philip writes, Cloud Atlas. Justin writes, Live, Die, Repeat. By the way, it's still really good. Or The Martian. And Chris writes, Children of Men. Favorite sci-fi adaptations? Uh, well, it was someone said Cloud Atlas, which I think is, is great. Um, I'll say uh, uh, speculatively, whenever Snow Crash finally gets made. <laughs> Um, I really like, um, this is kind of a weird one to pick, but, uh, I really like Scanner Darkly. I think that that's a pretty good, like, it's a great book. It's one of my favorite sci-fi books. And, um, I think Linklater did a pretty different kind of job. Like it feels, feels like Linklater and it also feels like the kind of great, you know, um, musings by Philip K. Dick. So I think that's a pretty good one. That's a good pick. I'm a big fan of that movie. It's a under underseen in my eyes i think there's a lot of good stuff solid keanu performance too like that's that's one, yeah. I, that's one I speak to and i think of like his best work um as an actor uh next question we have here is a uh, favorite natalie portman performance nathan writes leon the professional george writes star wars episode one the phantom menace or leon adam writes black swan and closer Dennis writes, I like Black Swan, but that open the door scene from Leon has my been seared into my brain ever since I watched it. Uh, Shalem, a friend of the show, designed our art. Uh, he writes, saw her in person in NYC after a show at the New Yorkans Poets Cafe. The New, the New York, it's it's spelled corrected, Anna corrected me. The New Yorkians Poets Cafe. She showed up outside of a friend, no security, picking up her cousin, performed at the night. Somebody recognized her and then she left, but I was standing five feet away from her. Does that count? <laughs> long story uh, Bricardo writes she was adorable in Garden State but my favorite is Closer 
Justin writes Leon for sure, but Black Swan was pretty good. I also liked her in Garden State. William writes Leon. Susan writes, does that SNL Natalie rap count? Uh, Mike <laughs> Mike writes uh, episode one. Why is it? Is that like teasing <laughs> episode one? Is this the pinnacle of Portman performances? Episode one, apparently. Um, Chris writes Leon all the way. Philip writes Jackie and Jim writes V for Vendetta. Oh, thank God. Because I was like, can someone say V for Vendetta? Like, I. I would say Black Swan, but I really like her in V for Vendetta. I think mean, that underrated movie. That's funny because I was like, thank God, can someone say Jackie? Because Jackie is awesome. Uh, yeah, she's I think Jackie is pretty fantastic. Jackie. She's terrific in that too. Um, but, and I got to say, I'm glad to see the Phantom uh, Phantom Menace love. I actually I actually like her uh, in the dual role. In uh, I, I, I would, yeah, I mean, I don't, I think there's issues with how her character is done in clones and then Sith, but yeah, I I like the young queen Amidala and Padme uh, in Phantom Menace. I'd say so. it's probably the best of the three movies as far as her performance goes, but I wouldn't speak yeah. to any of them as her best performance. I mean, no, 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 it's not, it's not. But I was just happy to see it getting love like, and plenty uh, of Leon love, which is I think well deserved. I think as you know, a, a very very young point in her career, she's certainly really good in that movie. And yes, the the scene that's outside of uh, Leon's doorway where she's like pleading to get into her, his house. I think that's a great, it's a fantastic scene. Fantastic. Yeah, she's great. I haven't, God, I haven't seen that movie in decades. Next question uh, we have here is a favorite film featuring some sort of descent into madness. Uh, Dennis writes Vertigo. He had an exclamation point. Uh, Philip writes Take Shelter. That's a great pick. Uh, Jason writes It's annoying that Thorin's descent into madness doesn't really happen until the third and worst Hobbit movie. As such, I'll take, will, uh, take Shelter. Um, Justin writes Event Horizon and The Shining. Uh, Chris writes, you can't beat Bedenis' answer, which was Vertigo. And Nathan writes, there will be blood. Favorite film featuring well, Descent I mean, you into could, Madness. You could say Black Swan again. Yeah, you could. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. Hmm, I wish I had a list in front of me because that's a... Yeah, I'll go back to... Um, yeah. uh, uh, not, not that I want to advocate for Roman Polanski these days, but uh, Repulsion. Repulsion's a great movie, yes. Wait, yeah. Repulsion, she's going crazy? <laughs> or her house is really doing weird stuff <laughs> wait is it like well because actually i just realized you could also make a case uh, not to bring up polanski again but you could argue isn't that also rosemary's baby is that is she crazy or are they really double you know cult people i have uh, a i have a rule where i take john cassavetes at his word so i think it's just pretty pretty literal <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I've never seen Repulsion. How's that possible? I don't know how I've it's that. a good hundred minutes you can spend. That's <laughs> it's a good one. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of movies that I have that, The Descent into Madness thing. And interesting saying There Will Be Blood, because that's a weird one, because Daniel Plainview is, it's, is, is, except for these little moments, he is such a controlling person. But you are right. I mean, he does have that breakdown of the church. And then at the end, absolutely, he's get, he's become his Xanadu Orson Welles cane craziness. So I would. Yeah, that's a good pick. I mean, I think he just becomes a cranky old man. I think that's <laughs> that's my base read on there. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, spoiler alert, what he does, you know, milkshake. He really does kind of go nuts on uh, what's his name? Paul Dano. I mean, but who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, that's... Well, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, our next question is, favorite film about a team of scientists going on an expedition? Nathan writes, either Prometheus or Alien Covenant. George writes, Interstellar. I like to think McConaughey's character from Interstellar is the same as his character from Contact. 
<laughs> um, Jay writes the core, which is automatically one of the best answers. Uh, John writes Ghostbusters. Catherine writes I enjoyed Congo. I was bemused by that <laughs> Congo. Um, and Justin writes Ghostbusters. Well, you said an expedition. So is the thing not count? Are they just already on their work or? Like is that an expedition? Well, they're like, not. A... They're not going in an expedition. No, they're already there. And are they scientists? What are they in the thing? They're. I guess they're surveyors. <laughs> yeah. Like okay. So because that's like my favorite of these kind of movies. But I guess it's not an expedition. Oh wait. By the way, David and Aaron. Because uh, maybe I, I haven't seen this movie, but everyone I know tells me I have to see it. Is the Lost City of Z? Is that an expedition? Would that count? Oh. Um. For one thing, you should see it because it's fantastic, and I love the Lost City of Z. Um, well, they're more. What do you call them at that point? What do you call people in like the 18th century that are like going on expeditions? Are they scientists or just explorers? Yeah, so I would just say yeah, maybe ex- just explorers. I would say explorers, and again, that'd be you know some like kind of like the thing. They're more surveyors. Like they, it's not, I, I, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, do you go to university to get the um, <laughs> to get the degree in exploring? <laughs> like, right. Right. <laughs> Um, so I'm gonna. Uh, I, no one said Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I'm gonna go a uh, little bit of a curveball here. I'm gonna go with a documentary called The Expedition to the End of the World, Ooh. which came out like five years ago. Where the premise is because of global warming, uh, some glaciers had melted, and there was this area, these like parts of like up near Greenland or whatever that no one had, no human had been to for like thousands of years, um, and. So the, they got a documentary crew and a team of scientists and artists to go up and explore this place together and take scientific notes and also, you know, draw pictures. And it's less about the science and it's more about the scientists and artists sort of ha- arguing and having discussions with each other about which is more important. Uh, it's, uh, and it's also uh, filled with Metallica music. It's a really cool movie. This sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, saw it, I saw it at L.A. Film Fest in 2013. And I think it eventually got a very small theatrical release at like at the end of that year or early the next year. Uh, but it's really cool. I'm quickly searching this to see if it's streaming somewhere because that sounds fantastic. Nope, not on Netflix. I got to look this later. But no, that sounds great. <laughs> Filled with Metallica music. Sold, I yeah. guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. Um, what are some of your what are you what are some films you love that feature endings that go off the wall crazy? Uh, Nathan writes Mother and the Three Caballeros. Um, that's like the Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, Chris writes. Chris writes. Uh, well, for me, it's always been Dust Till Dawn. Also, either also the end of uh, Brain Dead or in the UK or Bad Taste. Um, Dust Till Dawn's more halfway though. I would say it's the ending. Uh, Philip yeah. writes Big Trouble in Little China. Justin writes The Game. Nate. I mean, it's like, go off the end wall. It's like, oh, the end really took a turn there. Whatever. Um, Nathan writes mother. Um, I mean, 2001 is my stock answer for this question. I mean, the movie literally, it goes off. It goes, it goes off everything at the end. In the, but, in the end. Well, Bart, Barton Fink would be mine. No, that's a good oh, one. Yeah. Um, when John Goodman comes and makes them all like, you know, the uh, dinner and has a good time and they all have fun. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, what'd you have? I mean, I can't. Uh, well, okay, I, I'm, I guess I'm trying to think, are we talking about just something that goes bonkers? Or are we talking about something that's just like, oh, I did like, 
again, spoiler alert, I didn't, I think the end of To Live and Die in LA is pretty nuts because you don't realize, you don't see that coming with the lead character. First off, when you said, are you, are we just talking bonkers? Or I thought you were going to say like a simile to bonkers. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that's just the same word again. Um, But But if we are just talking complete madness, I mean, I, yeah, mother, at least for sure recently, that would for sure be my pick. But is that like the end? I mean, that's another one where it's like the whole movie is pretty like off the wall. (laughs) Yeah. But it really, but it really ramps up. I mean, but yeah, yeah. It wraps up from oh, okay, to oh, okay. Like, yeah, it gets big, <laughs> gets bigger. But um, yeah, from a tech, from a technical perspective, sure, it definitely goes like crazier. Um, to live and die alone. That's a good, that's a neat example because yes, the kind of intensity of the scenario and a certain turn that happens is like, well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> like, that's not exactly. Right, that's why it's like, oh, well, like that. Yeah, that's why. Eh. Oh, you know what's another one um, that. I mean, I actually sort of like to live and die like, but that it's very calm though, but it's different is probably no country for old men. I mean, that's mm. kind of not, that is not the kind of ending I think we thought was going to happen. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You're speaking more to kind of narrative subversion versus like thematic change or like visual, like difference, like uh, significant details that just throw the thing into its own orbit. Um, and yeah, from that perspective, sure, No Country for Old Men takes a, a narrative that you think is going a certain direction and twists it, and you have a whole new perspective to follow, or follow more, follow more primarily, I guess. Right. Um, I, you can probably, I'm trying to think of other Cullen Brothers films that it applies to, because yeah, Barton Fink is certainly a great answer for that question. Um, I mean, you could say Raising Arizona takes a turn as well, as far as the... Um, uh, from going yeah. from madcap to sentimental all of a sudden, which for that movie is kind of going off the wall. Mm. Or even like the finale of Blood Simple, it's more of just payoff, but I mean, it also gets like, oh, now we're like in thriller territory, like real thriller territory, as opposed to just kind of like tongue in cheek thriller. This is fun to think about. That's all I'm saying. Um, well, let's get to our let's get to our next question. Favorite films featuring some wild creature design. Um, Ricardo writes, does Jumanji plants count? Sure. They're wild. Why not? Uh, Jay writes, Cloudy for Chance of Meatballs 2. Great answer. Um, Justin writes, Beauty and the Beast. Philip writes, Pacific Rim. And Cynthia writes, Mimic. Uh, okay. uh, obviously, Alien. Alien. Yeah. But uh, the, the thing comes up again. The thing, yeah. The fly. I mean, I'll say the one I, I'll point out in terms of subversion, to use a word we've used a lot, is um, The Host. The Bong yeah. Ho movie, which mm-hmm. first off, like completely breaks the jaws, like don't show the shark rule immediately. Yes. Like, you see, <laughs> yeah. you see the monster seven minutes into the movie, and it's so big and stupid looking. <laughs> uh, I mean, it looks good, but it like it it looks so like gangly and like awkward. Uh, and it's it's such a bold choice that works so well for what I would consider one of the best monster movies ever made. I I'm at a point where I haven't watched the host in like several years at this point, and I'm like, why haven't I? Because I love that movie and I own it, so I should be watching the host more because it's great. Especially after watching Okja, where I can sing the latest Bong Joon Ho goes wild with a creature design thing. Um, but yeah, the host is that's a good and yeah, it is just like right away. It's like what's going on? Oh, there it is. <laughs> it's just like storming <laughs> yeah. every in broad daylight. It's just out, out, out all over the place. Yeah. Um, other like wild i'm trying to think of anything that's... you know what i really what i really liked um it's kind of a tiny thing but i really like the crazy uh vampire mouths that opened in blade 2 oh, that's yeah. Del- oh yeah yeah 
pretty cool. Um, Which went on, like, the strain, his book that was turned into a TV show certainly uses that design concept to, like, its fullest extent. It's very much about open jaws. (laughs) Um, Del Toro, in general, I think, is, like, a good just default answer Mm -hmm. for this question. True. True. Oh like yeah, a, I mean the the weird the guy in the the room in Pad's Labyrinth, the guy with the, the yeah eyes the pale right. man or yeah, I mean, yeah, anything yeah. anything in the Hellboy films. Even Kronos has some weird shit going on. So it's like so yeah, those are all yeah. You're right. Del Toro's a pretty good answer. It's just like yeah. I really the we didn't talk about the creatures too much in Annihilation, but I really love the kind of the big one that we see, <laughs> the one that does a thing with a, that has a kind of a face on it. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> we've, we've gone all out with this design. Huh? It's, and it's this kind of mix of practical and uh, CG design that I think works really well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, totally just, it's just scary in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, our next week. Now we have, now we get to questions. Um, Justin asks, is a long story here. Got to see Black Panther last night. It made me want more of a beginning rather than the now. I really would have liked a better canon story. I was unaware of Black Panther at all until he was in Captain America Civil War, so I was interested in learning more about him and Wakanda. I guess my question is, do you think it would be a good thing to start the first movie of a new comic hero with more backstory, or just speed through it all to get to present time? For me, I'll let you guys go in a second. For me... Um, it doesn't matter if the film is good. I mean, Superman the movie is still one of the best superhero movies of all time, and that's entirely devoted to an origin story. At the same time, Spider-Man 2 is you know, it's, it's also really good without having to go through backstory, or even something like, I don't know, uh, Dick Tracy, which is just, he's already Dick Tracy. Like, he's just, he's not, you know, I don't need to learn about young Dick Tracy and how he always wanted to be a detective. It's just like, no, he's just already there doing his thing. Uh, that's my offhand answer of superhero movies that don't have a superhero backstory uh, any you guys have any pre- preference as far as kind of comic heroes and ver- origin stories versus just starting in the now i'm just gonna agree with you if it's good i don't care okay <laughs> i yeah i i I'm, I'm mostly of course the quality is more important than just be like doing the same old or doing or being different just to be different although i will say that we have gone through a period in the last you know, 10 years or something or more, God, more, where, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of the, essentially the Batman begins of everything where we see the, it's the character and by the end they're that character. So, and those, and there's a lot of them are really terrific, but eh, I'm, I guess I'm, you know what, on a practical level, I think I'm leaning more towards, let's just get into the action. Um, like actually I thought Black Panther, I thought they did a pretty good job of like, setting up setting them up well and then civil war and then allowing for us to really just get to know wakanda more uh so um but yes of course i mean the the general the simple answer of course i mean i mostly of course agree with aaron that it's like well i just you know i want it to be good one of the best Um, answers i can think of right now actually is the incredibles where they're just incredible already like that's just you know he's already mr incredible she's already elastigirl like they're not really you're not learning about who Mr. Incredible was. It's just like, no, he's, our, he's in the midst of like the golden era of superheroes before they got banned. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I didn't really need the origin story to get me into this zone. I think the challenge of movies now that are adapting comic heroes is, you know, you've seen iterations of either Batman Begins or Superman the movie so many times. How do you make it unique? And I think Burton's Batman is a good way to speak to that, actually. Burton's Batman, he's just Batman already. It's not dealing with his... It event it kind of has some details where Jack Nicholson's Joker directly inspires Batman to <laughs> he keys the murder of his parents in that version of the story, what have you. But for the most part, that movie's you know he's already he already he's already in, in 
you know, cape and cowl at that point. Interesting. Like, I mean, Wonder Woman was introduced. She's already Wonder Woman. And then the movie Wonder Woman. Well, it's a flashback, Wonder essentially. So it's like it's your whole Right. So it's story. a different kind of. But, but I will say a lot of them. I will say, yeah, the, most of the modern comic movie, comic superhero movies, it seems like what they do is they essentially, they are doing the black, the Civil War thing where, we, like, I mean, that's, I'm. Is Aquaman gonna be an origin story? Because we've already seen he's already kick-ass Aquaman in Justice League. Like, I I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't like. I mean, huh, and Flash too. It's hmm, interesting. I mean, I guess also if it's a really cool like a kind of superhero we've never seen before on the big screen, then yeah, man. I mean, give that character you know the, you know do it up you know with the origin. Um, and Spider-Man is the biggest example, though, of like we have we've seen that Spider-Man and Batman. We've just seen the origins. So I don't know how much we need, which is why I thought Homecoming was terrific. You know what they did? Well, yeah, I mean, that that also speaks to just kind of pop culture relevance of those characters. Like, do we need it again? Although Zack Snyder argued no. So we needed to get like a perfume commercial version of his parents dying. So <laughs> that's true. Although I will say I am excited for what is the animated Spider-Man that's coming? What's it called? Spider-Man. Oh fuck! Um, Spider-Man. Night or some web at night. It's enter the. It's like enter the something. Spider-Man. But is that is that Miles Morales? Enter the Spider Verse. It's the most eye-rolling title that we can yeah. give. Yes, it is Miles Morales. Yeah, so well, that, it's but... it's no turn on the night or whatever the one turn off the dark. Turn off the dark. <laughs> So I'm okay. Like that, actually, I totally want to see an or I want to see because I mean that I we haven't seen Miles Morales on the big screen. So I mean, like that that sounds awesome. Sure. You know? um, that, that actually that does. Just a side note, that looks pretty good. Like, I the like anim- the, the animation wise. I like what I was seeing in the the brief minute that we got of that movie. Well, yeah. Um, all right, that was feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's move on now. Let's get to um, what time is it? Let's. Do, I think it's time for some uh, some games. That is, of course, the improv theme for games, and I have a game for you guys. It is called Getting Annihilated. Pause for applause. Um, the game. <laughs> um, so what I've done here is I've, I have, in dis- detail, I've described a number of famous death scenes in movies where characters, quote-unquote, get annihilated. Um, I'm going to read said description, and if you think you know the answer, buzz in with your name and tell me the movie. Make sense? Yeah. Yep. Okay, here's the first one. A group of individuals are surprised by a friend whose chest burst opens to reveal a monster. David. David. Alien. Alien is the correct answer. All right, that's the first one. Here we go. Next one. All right, so we're starting with the easy ones, HQ style. Yeah, giving you the giving you giving you an idea of how this works. Now they vary, <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, here's here we go. A captain makes a descent into the jungle and hacks away at a cult leader in the dark. Peter. Peter. Uh, Apocalypse Now? Apocalypse Now is the correct answer. All right. Here's the next one. A vat of toxic waste and a car accident lead to one henchman getting splattered. David. David. Robocop. Robocop is the correct answer. (laughs) Which is a hilarious scene. (laughs) Next question. A sunny day is interrupted by a hail of gunfire in order to stop a criminal couple. Peter. Peter. Um... Bonnie and Clyde? Bonnie and Clyde is the correct answer. Oh. Okay. <laughs> neck and neck so far, guys. <laughs> Get down the line here. Here we go. A heroic speech is interrupted by a man-eating fish. 
David. Here. I heard David. Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea is the correct answer. Nice. Here's the next one. A loudmouth is made much quieter and smaller thanks to a handy wood chipper. Peter. David. I heard Peter. Uh, Fargo. Fargo is the correct answer. This is a, this is a very balanced game. <laughs> All right, here we go. The opening of an artifact leads to a ghoulish surprise and melted. David. David? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders is the correct answer. Nice. Here's the next one. Violence on the bowling alley leads to a head getting caved in. David? <laughs> David? There will be blood. There will be blood is the correct answer. Thanks. Here's the next one. Got three more. While on top of the world, a gangster hits the gas and blows up for good. While on top of the world, a gangster hits the gas and blows I up mean, for good. I mean, Peter, I haven't seen it, though. It's Well, because that Top of the World mod, it's a Jimmy Cagney movie, but I, I don't know that name. Is it Scarface or something? I don't know. It's not Scarface. It's is one, it White Heat? It is White Heat. Ah, there you go. There you go. Here's the next one. A drive through the valley takes an unexpected turn when the back windshield is splattered with blood. David. David. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. It's when Marvin gets shot in the face. Um, yeah. Here's the last one. While resting in his bedroom, the future scarf lover is eaten by his mattress and spit out in a very bloody manner. David. David. A Nightmare on Elm Street. You like that description I had for that one? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Wait, you said, wait, you said the future what lover? Scarf lover. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I was like, it was too meta for me. I was like, what is he talking about? Like, okay, yeah, well, well played. All, All right. right. Well, Peter, you made a valiant effort, but David, you, you, you really prepared for these games. Apparently, <laughs> you're all on board, and you, you came out the winner this week. It's uh, yeah. It took me a while to get the. It's it's like uh, Jeopardy. It's more about uh, getting good with the buzzer. I think that's the buzzer is the, key. Yes. It, it, yeah. It helps. Yeah. I, I had to, well. When, when he said splattered in the car, I went to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I was like, but he said Mulholland Drive. I was like, that can't be right. I was like, what? Because isn't that the opening of Texas Chainsaw? Isn't that the same thing? No, I guess uh, in, in the original Texas Chainsaw? No, uh, in the remake, in the Jessica. Isn't it like they pick oh. up some girl, and then she just blows her head off? She blows and her and head off, that. and then you get this fancy camera shot through her okay. head. Oh. <laughs> you said Mulholland. So I was like, I was like, well, it can't be. I said the up. Valley for one thing, but um, <laughs> right. I was like, no. It's and also, like... I no, I wouldn't reference that movie because I'm not a fan of the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making the games. I get to pick the movies. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that was games. That was getting annihilated. Um, all right. Let's move on now. Let's get, let's start wrapping things up here. Let's get to out now presents what's out now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray and DVD this week. If you have a yay or nay for any of these titles that I read, go for it. Uh, first up, I have Coco. I need to see it. It's supposed to be great. I'm a big fan of. Uh, let's see. Darkest Hour. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like that. The f- first Joe Wright movie I really liked. No, that's not true. I liked Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a big fan of Darkest Hour. Actually, David, did you ever figure out who the voice of FDR is in that movie? No. Yeah, I meant to. So I did. <laughs> oh, you did. It's in the commentary track because I have the Blu-ray for review. It's David Strathairn. Wow. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's great that is great trivia thank you for figuring that out yeah i, I figured that i i realized there's like right i knew it's like okay it it just seems like some like random person who's doing a good impression but it's like no he actually got an actor he got david trefaren to be fdr in the in like a vocal cameo for darkest tower so there you go awesome that one's free um next up three billboards outside ebbing missouri which i know i'm a big fan of and others aren't 
Uh, yeah, count me among others. <laughs> I like the first half. And I like the first half, and I like the last two minutes. I just I have a lot of problems with this, with the uh, some of the other stuff, but but oh, it's good. I'm mixed, I guess. Future Oscar winner, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Future, <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, next we, up, we, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the Kenneth Branagh. Uh, oh, I liked tape. it. I think it's good. I liked it. it. Yeah, it's not best thing ever, but yeah, it was fun. Good throwback. Very pretty seventy millimeter colors, and yeah, I liked it. Let's see. Just getting started. This was the Ron Shelton movie that randomly appeared in theaters for like a week, with like Morgan Freeman and Tommy Lee Jones. Huh. So that's oh, out. I saw the trailer for that, like the retirement. home. Yeah, they're thing. like a retirement home. He's like in witness protection or something like that. I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, Attack on Titan season two for you anime fans out there. Uh, let's see. Basket Case on Arrow this week. Old classic horror, eighties horror film, classic. Uh, let's see. On Criterion this week, Tom Jones. With Albert Finney. Mm. Um, on Shout Factor this week, Colossus, The Forbidden Project. It's an old sci fi film. And uh, 7852. David, did you see this one? The, uh... Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, sometimes it feels like kind of um, uh, film school indulgences, like some of the people they interview about. It's the documentary about the shower scene in Psycho. And some of the people they interview, it's like, why are you talking? Like, I know, like Elijah Wood likes horror movies, but why is Elijah Wood talking about uh, about this? Um, uh, but then you, they also interview the great editor Walter Murch. Um, it's definitely worth worth your time, even if uh, some of it just feels like kind of the pointless geeking out um, that you know that I guess people like me do anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, Psycho is one of my favorite movies ever, so I've been wanting to see this documentary for sure. Um, let's see. On Warner Warner Brothers Warner Archive this week we have Harper and the Drowning Pool. These are two Paul Newman movies. The Drowning Pool is a sequel to Harper, um, where he's like a I think he's like a detective. Um, and Harper I know is the the better of the two. Um, let's see. On uh, on Kino this week we have The Outlaw, the old uh, Howard Hughes movie. On all and on all the films this week we have The Birdman of Alcatraz with uh, is that Lancaster I believe in that one, and uh, Great Balls of Fire. With uh, with Baldwin and Winona Ryder, um, so nothing but the hits this week on all the films, and uh, so yeah, that's without now presents now. Now let's do on to extremely cool. These are things that are streaming now on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Uh, first up on Netflix, I mentioned already, Mute is now out there. Um, I wasn't a fan, but it's certainly on Netflix. Um, let's see, Winnie, which is a new documentary about um, Winnie Mandela. Uh, I thought, <laughs> thought that might be interesting. Uh, Marlon Wayans has a new stand-up special, which I'm always curious about because his movies tend to be terrible when he's like, you know, the writer involved in them. But when he's in things like Requiem or like random other movies where he's a side character, he tends to be like quite capable. So I'm curious what his stand-up show is like because I haven't actually seen a stand-up show from Marlon Wayans. Um, let's see. The Breadwinner is now on Netflix as well. One of the best animated film nominations. Uh, Have you Oscars. seen that? I heard yep. it's great. It is. It's very good. All right. Cool. Yeah. And uh, Seven Seconds is a new series that's on Netflix. That's from the creator of The Killing. Uh, that was an AMC with uh, mm. with Altered Carbon's Joel Kinnaman and uh, Mary L. Enos. Uh, I forget her name. Uh, but yeah, it's a new a new serial killer to, or a new like crime story. It stars um, Regina King and Claire Hope Ashley from uh, Children of Men. So 
know that's out there now. And on Amazon Prime this week is The Tick, which I mentioned earlier. I'm a big fan of The Tick, but that's uh, the second half of the first season is now available to watch on uh, Amazon Prime. The, the plot tickens. Thank you. Um, <laughs> next week, that was extremely cool. Next week's show, next week we'll be doing the Oscars. We'll be having a lot of Oscar fun. We'll have two shows total because we'll have our prediction show, which will quickly be outdated by our post-Oscar show. Um, but it's always fun to do anyway. Uh, should be a lot of fun this year. And yeah, so that's that. Next, uh, last thing we do here, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? David, what should people see in theaters right now? I mean, other than Annihilation? You can say Annihilation. If you have any other things, you can mention that too. Um, uh, I'm going to say Annihilation for now, but uh, I'm looking online to see what else is out right now to to try and remember. Um and then what am I seeing? Well, like I said, I'm seeing Red Sparrow tomorrow, which I'm, I know that a, a lot of people have not been, that I have well, seen it, haven't been blown away. But I'm uh, I'm actually a big fan of Francis Lawrence as a director. Um, so, yeah, I'm... It's funny you mention uh, that because we already talked about I Am Legend, which like is ruined in the first second half. But yes, the director in general is pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, I like, I like that second Hunger Games movie a lot. Is that Catching Fire? Yeah. yeah I like that one a lot. Um... And then I'm also seeing Generation Wealth, which is the new um, direct, uh, documentary from uh, Lauren, is it Greenfield? She made uh, The Queen of Versailles a few years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and then, oh yeah, you know what else? It, honestly, it, it's probably rolling out, so depending where you are, where you are in the country, but uh, Sally Potter's The Party is a really cool movie. Oh, it's supposed to be really good. Yeah, I yeah. It's- yeah, so if you have a chance to see that, go see it. I want um, I want to see yeah. that. I almost saw the screening, but it's like it's only an hour and ten minutes. I didn't want to drive all the way up to LA for that, so I want to wait. I'm just waiting for it to come around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter, what did, what uh, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, yeah, I would say Annihilation, uh, and then yeah, Annihilation. What do you see next? Uh, I was thinking today I might go see um, the and I already forgot what it's called the Jason Bateman movie you talked about. With oh, Game Night. Yeah, because I like those kind of movies. Seems like a fun matinee, and you liked it, right? You're like, yeah, fun. If you got that movie pass, go for it. I do. I've got the movie pass. There you go. Yeah, movie pass. <laughs> Not a sponsor, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Annihilation is quite good, and see it while it lasts in theaters. Black Panther also really good, and will be around for a while, so you have some time to see that one. And pretty much everything nominated for an Oscar, I'm a, generally a fan of that's in theaters right now, so you can probably, you know, make up pretty well by seeing any of those. If you can see the short films, the Oscar-nominated shorts, I know those play in limited release, those would certainly be great to catch as well, because it's great to support short films, but also there's just a really good batch of shorts this year in the, the various categories. Among other things, and you mentioned stuff already, so I'll say I'm also seeing Thoroughbreds uh, this week. Um, oh, I see that. Which is the... Uh, it's like a, I, I like guess, it. dark comedy. You liked it, yeah? Dark is a dark yeah. comedy. It's Anton Yelchin's like final film, I believe as well. Yeah. It stars the Dying Girl. What? What? Oh, the, the yeah, it's, yeah. What's her name? Uh, Olivia or something? Olivia Cook. Cook. Yeah. Her and yeah. Anna Taylor oh, Joy oh, from, yeah, uh, Taylor from Joy, The Witch. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and and Yelchin. Uh, who's the adult? There's like one adult. Who's the adult actor? Um. I forget his name. He's really good in the movie. It's like his name's like Paul Spark or something like that. Paul Sparks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Sparks. He's in like House of Cards and uh, okay. um, what's it? What's it called? Um, he's been in a lot of things. He was in The Night of also. Like he's he's, he's got a good HBO oh, right. contract. Yeah. He's got a lot of things. Yeah, um, but yeah. Well, that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com, on my written movie reviews or over there, as well as on Wise Blue and We Live Entertainment. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Peter Paris, where are you? 
Uh, I am currently not. I mean, I'm on social media at Pajamo on Twitter and uh, Instagram, but uh, I'm not uh, writing right now. So I, I'm just reading Aaron's uh, reviews. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> David Bax, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find my movie reviews and all sorts of other stuff, including our weekly and sometimes often twice weekly podcast, uh, Battleship Pretension at battleshippretension.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. That's a great name, by the way. Welcome aboard. Okay. <laughs> yes. Anna needed me to say that right now. <laughs> um but yeah, you can uh, find all the other episodes about now with Aaron and Ava or on iTunes as well as on Audioboom. You can find us on HHWLOD and Podomatic. Um, you can email us any thoughts you might have had on Annihilation or anything else at over at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And of course, send us plenty of gifts of random creatures going over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, thank you, Peter and David, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you, yeah. Congratulations, of course, to David for stomping Peter in games. That's always a thing we need to go out on. (laughs) No, good show for sure. Good to have you guys on. Uh, Tune in next week to see what happens with the Oscars. But until that time, that's going to do it. So until then, so long and goodbye. Wishing he could fly by Only to trip at the sound of goodbye Wordlessly watching he waits By the window and wonders At the empty place inside Heartlessly helping himself to her bad dreams, he worries. Did he hear a goodbye? Or even hello? There's a dead body they find in a swimming pool that is decomposed in a very specific way to the shimmer that really could have been a shot right out of Hannibal. That's the first thing I, yeah, I it's, thought of. It's gross, oh, but the use of color is pretty spectacular, and there Peter is just eating popcorn while all this is happening. It's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hungry, um, but... Movie Pass. <laughs> Not a sponsor. But, um... <laughs>